G'day everyone, and welcome to A Place to Call Home podcast. I'm your host, Sam Fryer, and on today's episode, we have an absolute cracker. Today, we chat to Emma Aliff. Now, Emma is an absolute powerhouse. She is a mother, she is a farmer, she is an agronomist, she is also an ag tech founder, and the list goes on, honestly. And today's episode, Emma shared her insights from what she's learned right across starting all these different businesses. And also, we go into a bit of in-depth of what it was like going through her partner's succession process. Emma also shares her journey towards ownership with her partner and how they went about buying their very first farm. Now, Emma was very, very open and willing to share a lot what's going on with the process of succession and in her own businesses. And I'm very grateful and very thankful for that. So, whether you're in a tractor, on a horse or even sitting in the office, this episode's for you, and I really hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to say a massive thank you to today's podcast partners, Maraboon Veterinary Services. Located in central Queensland, these guys can help you and your business out with all your veterinary needs. They also can help you with some of the expertise and how to better improve not only your fertility, but your productivity in your animals. So, be sure to give them a contact and say thank you for jumping on and helping us out. Cheers. Emma, thank you very much for joining us on the Place to Call Home podcast. Before we get too far ahead, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Where do you live? Um, What do you do? And throw in a family stat. Um, Yeah, so I live between Lake Cajelago and Condoblin in the central west of New South Wales. My day job is an agricultural consultant working with irrigated and dry land farmers. My partner and I also operate a mixed farming enterprise, so winner cereals primarily and first cross lambs. Um, And then, yeah, a few other little side projects. Um, And my household consists of me, my partner Craig, and our four and a hump four-and-a-half-month-old son, Cam. I do know, we were just talking before we hit record about um, kids and, and the joy of them, the joy they bring. And, and you said this is your first day, your little one's at kindy today, so, oh, sorry, daycare. So yeah. you're getting a bit done and or, and, you're, and you're coping with that all right? Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I've been super excited about this day for him to socialise because he's the only kid in our household and have some other kids around him, but also, yeah, just to have some brain capacity and be a bit productive for a day will be very nice. Yeah, it's um, it, they definitely do take a lot. They enjoy kids, but they definitely do take a lot of thinking space sometimes. It can be hard 100%. to <laughs> Um, Look, where did you grow up, Emma? So I spent most of my childhood on sheep stations out near Coobapedi in South Australia. So I was homeschooled. Until I was 13, um, my dad ran farms for um, some well-known pastoralists like Jumbuck Pastoral, so McBride's. Uh, We then moved to the Clare Valley when I started high school. I finished high school there. I then went to Adelaide, uh, University of Adelaide, and did a Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Science, uh, looking at becoming a livestock nutritionist, which is probably the complete opposite of where I've ended up, um, and completed that while I was at uni, decided that I liked plants better than animals. They're a little bit easier to keep track of. They don't run away from you, things like that. Um, 
And then, yeah, when I finished my uni degree, I went back to the Clare Valley and worked there as a high rainfall zone and pasture agronomist for about 14 months before deciding I needed an adventure and I headed east. Got a job in the cotton industry and 12 years later, I'm still out here bashing away in cotton crops. It, I, I want to bring it back to that that transition. Like you said you're an animal nutritionist, that so you studied that. So what was the transition? What were you doing to make you go from animals and plants or what helped? Yeah, so I just found plants so interesting at uni. Like if you think about what they're able to do, they just uh in one spot, their substrate that they grow in is the soil that surround them and the nutrition that they can access and the moisture and all of that's confined to how and where their roots run and, you know, their ability to be able to to live, you know, in a little basketball, some of these plants and overcome things like soil constraints. So my real interest in plants began with old man salt bush. We had to do a case study on a crop type and that's what I started with and, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. Um, it's hard to make money doing odd things like growing salt bush and stuff like that. <laughs> so um, I ended up in a bit more mainstream agronomy, but, yeah, I love it. And cotton um, is a really fun crop. It's a broad acre crop, big areas. Um, it's a quick crop being annual, so you get to do something new every year, but because it's high value, growers are willing to spend a lot of money and do cool things, and we understand really well how it grows and how we can manipulate it, and, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's um, it's certainly popping up here and everywhere. Like I'm, I'm based up in North Queensland, and there's a few places starting to grow cotton up this way. And it's, it's interesting, um, uh, when harvest time comes and you do see the trucks on the road, and you know, majority of the time it is just you know six decks of cows going here, there, and everywhere. But next minute you've got all those trucks filled with cotton on the back, cotton, uh, cotton bales. What do you call it? Rolls or bales? How? What's the rounds? Rounds. Okay, there you go. There yeah. right. I can get. I'll get terrorized for that one, but I'm quite happy <laughs> throwing myself under the bus. Yeah. So you see all the rounds running around everywhere. So it's it's interesting to see the growth of that. And is the driver like for those unaware of cotton, like you said, there is there is money in it, money to be made in cotton. Or what's where does it usually suit? What land types is it and areas? Yeah. So the big draw card with cotton is that it is a high value crop. Um, so yeah, you can, you can make some good money out of it. It's highly water efficient. So if you're an irrigator, you get a lot of crop for your drop, as we like to say. Um, and then the GM component of it is very cool. So, um, the new cotton that we grow at the moment is a triple stack herbicide tolerance. So it's resistant or tolerant to Roundup, glyphosate and dicamba so we've got a really good spectrum of weed control for paddocks where we've got issues with resistant weeds or just a really dirty um, cheap safe chemical options that we can put over they've got insect genes in the plants which means that you know we flat out probably spraying for insects twice a year on average Um, yeah so it's just it's just a nice crop to grow and, yeah, it's a bit of fun and it's good return on your water, which is our most valuable asset that we have. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, look, you just mentioned that you've given us a pretty good wrap of what you've done after school and that and that journey that's been. And along the way, I do want to touch on when you met your partner because the next thing I want to chat about is succession. But can you tell us how you guys met and, and, and I suppose a bit of the love story behind it? Um, so Craig and I were actually set up on a blind date. Um, yeah. And I think my exact words when we got set up was, 
I'm not going to like this guy, so let's get it over and done with. Um, yes, so uh, we went to Nitro Circus in Griffith, um, yeah, and then went out for the pubs after and had a few beers and I had to get up the next morning and go to work and um, I got a message about oh, just before lunchtime to say, did you want some KFC because he was still in town and he went and got takeaway and swung back around to say day again and the rest is history, as they say, seven years later and, yeah. So is this when you started, when did you guys start working or were you, was Craig always working in his family's operation uh, and, and, and what was that like, that part of uh, or starting out, like coming as an outsider in? It's something I'm trying to delicately work my way through the podcast because it's so so interesting that so many different partners come into a op- family operation. And how how did that go with you? Yeah, so um, Craig and his, he's got two older brothers. So he and his two older brothers basically finished school and went home to the farm. Um, they were super fortunate. Their dad had worked really hard and got quite a large enterprise. So they had um, about 28,000 acres that they were cropping about half and running livestock on. So there was plenty of capacity to have everyone at home. Um, Craig was the youngest, so I'm the last onboarded uh, entity into the Newham chaos <laughs> that they run, uh, which is interesting because uh, I guess the others had all been kind of part of the business for quite a long time, like 10 years plus the partners and stuff like that. So the dynamics were pretty well established prior to me getting there. I had a bit of a draw card in that I am an agronomist, so I I guess I added value to their cropping business because I could come in and um, give them some advice basically for nothing um, and help to, to run that side of side of their operation but at the same time it's always you've got to be mindful to not step on toes undermine people yep. um family dynamic uh it's and it's difficult because emotions come into play and you need to be need to be mindful that what is business is business but you've still got to be able to sit around the kitchen table at christmas time at the end of the day um, yeah yeah and how do you approach that and manage that and it's it is it's hard um i like to I've, I've tried to make a very conscious effort to be quite neutral in everything that was happening when we were operating as a group, um, and that's just understanding the chain of command, you know, talking to making sure that we talk to Craig's dad, not just Craig and I make decisions on the cropping enterprise that flowed through and affected everybody else and just having some stuff like that in place. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was good. It was fun. Uh, it was, yeah, cool to be part of. An operation like that where you got to be, you know, hands-on from the decision-making at the start to help and sit on the air seeders at sowing time and headers at harvest and, yeah, it was good. How early on or when did they start the succession process or did they start having some discussions pretty early? Because I do want to touch on the next part of your story, but I thought I'd just mention that first up. Yeah, so, like, the succession was always implied, Um that's why they were all working so hard to accumulate land and do what they were doing. So, um, but it was kind of an unspoken plan. So, uh, Craig's dad had a bit of an idea of what was going to happen and how it was all going to unravel. Um, and for the rest of us, it was kind of a bit of a wait and see until that time where there was a push uh, to split things up. A big driver, probably, of the split up is that each of the brothers were at quite different phases in their life. So, yeah. Um, you know, kids going to boarding school, 
uh, people wanting different operational systems on their farm or livestock focus. You know, one brother wants cows, one brother wants sheep, one brother wants no livestock. So you started to get to that point where everyone was kind of pulling in different directions and it started to get a bit of tension. And that was just, yeah, kind of indication that it was time to put a bit of heat on and make some tough decisions. Yeah. So around this time, you guys are actually had the opportunity to farm come up nearby. Is that right? Can you talk us through the process and, and how that came about and, and the steps of that you guys went to actually acquiring that property, the farm, sorry? Yeah, so Craig and I hadn't been together very long at all. It was less than a year um, and one of our neighbours had decided to sell off a portion of, of his farm and um, kind of over the back fence conversation was had about this farm coming up for sale and um, I guess Craig and I hadn't really seriously talked about buying land because we hadn't really been together for all that long but this opportunity came up um, and I think both of us thinking quite business-like and logically were like, this is kind of too good of an opportunity. Location was right. Price was right. Um, yeah, mad not to have a go at it. And then decided to go and talk to Craig's parents about it um, and whether we had we were not prepared at all to buy this farm. We had no savings. We had no deposit. We had no pre-approvals with banks, nothing. It was oh, we're going to sell some of our dirt. Do you want to buy it? Oh, mm. shit, it's in the right spot. We probably should. How the heck are we going to do this kind of scenario? Um, so Craig's parents agreed to guarantor for us, and the way that we worked it was we used one of the farms that we are getting as part of the succession and farm split up as the guarantee so that we basically take that guarantee when we take that farm as part of our succession split. Did you work with anyone through that bit of the process or were you just guided by Craig's parents, like a bit of mentoring there? Um, oh, we were guided primarily by Craig's parents, um, but, you know, we're lucky out here that a lot of the lawyers and bankers and stuff like that have seen a lot of different things unfold and could put their two bobs in about ways that they'd seen it done previously and that's where we ended up. Yeah. So following on from that, you got you, you got this got the, got the farm and – the succession started happening. Is that right? Where the splitting up started going on? Was this very soon or was it like a couple of years after? How quick was that process going on in the background? Um, so the formalities of succession plan probably started like three years after um, we bought that farm. And then with that all kind of coming to a head um, at the end of last financial year, so the end of June last year, the businesses split into three entities. There's still some unraveling to do around titles on land and uh, like that, and around capital, making sure we're not paying too much capital gains and whatnot. But yeah, on on paper and on operational fronts, um, yeah, the family enterprise is now just uh, Craig's mum and dad and their little hobby block, and then the three brothers now each run their own entity. Did you guys work with someone? Did you bring in a consultant or something like that for succession? We had our financial advisor that has worked with the black case for a very long time, who's, yeah, done a lot of it, who kind of, yeah, helped guide us through the process and, and yeah, put the steps into place and divide everything up. And in the as an agronomist, I've seen a lot of succession plans go down and more often than not, they're not very pretty and 
Um, Every succession plan is tough. This one was no different, but on a whole, I would say that um, the boys and the extended families have handled it really well and very maturely, which is a refreshing change (laughs) from what I've seen for other people. How important was it to have like that outside or someone else in the table that wasn't part of the immediate family, that consultant, the middleman, I don't know, there's so many names around it that you'd put, but how important was it to have someone like that at the table helping? Yeah, super important. You need someone that can drag that emotion out and everyone else tends to be less emotional if there's a third party there that's kind of regulating what's going down. If you don't have that third party, then yeah, emotions can take hold and Things can get a bit um, wayward and anything done with emotion is pretty crappy. Um, Decisions made on emotion, arguments brought on by emotion. So to have someone that Mm. can just simmer everything down and bring it back to the realities of the situation makes life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, hundred percent does. You need someone else at the table, and 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 probably the other thing that I was going to ask: Did you guys go away, or did you do that? do that at the farm when you guys were meeting up going working through this process um so we took turns hosting it so that everybody got so yeah there's a big thing about that comfort level around if it's held at your house you feel a bit more bullish because you're in your space yeah yeah so we we shared it around everyone everyone had a turn to host it um which kind of gave everyone you know their moment of power in the discussion for want of a better term it was for us personally, like we've we've gone through one one lot or a couple of different times, succession processes and meetings and stuff like that. But it was huge the difference it played when we had it not at the kitchen table. Like we went somewhere else and held that, and it was a totally different environment, totally different how everyone reacts and yeah. talks. And um, you know, especially as children, when you grow up at that dining table. And it happens, like you know, if you look in behind there, the mindset behind there, as a as a child, and you have your parents your whole life telling you what to do, and then you go and try and have a meeting like that at your kitchen table, you still have that same mindset. So you have to get away and get out. And it's good to hear that you guys gave everyone a bit of a crack, I suppose, and, and not just at the dining table where the parents are, because that would have been, I think, a bit of a play a bit of a role in that. So, um, what were some of the struggles that you guys faced during this process? through the succession process that really came up and I suppose hindered or changed things a little bit? Was there anything like that? So probably the the land side of things was all relatively straightforward. Uh, we, like I said, we're pretty lucky in that um, Craig's family had done such an amazing job at acquiring land and kind of setting everyone up Um with a good size operation and and with all things succession plan, I think it's important to remember that it's about being fair. It's not about being equal. You're never going to get an equal share, but you need to get your fair share of what's happening. And I think most parties came to the table with that in mind, that it wasn't going to be equal, but we'd get it as fair as we could. Um, So that, that was really good. The biggest challenge for us is probably around machinery and, and things like that. So three brothers and, two of everything pretty well, Um, two spray rigs, two sewing bars, two tractors, you know, two trucks, two decent trucks. Uh, We did have three headers, two newer ones, one older one. But So negotiating, um, you know, who got what, who got the shit box and who got the good bit and how is that going to happen and I don't know, uh, like 
I'm a pretty pragmatic person. Like I'm just kind of a throw the like a throw the things in a hat and pull it out. And what you get is what you get, yeah. and what you don't get, you go and buy and you move on. Um, when you have people who have worked on a farm their whole life, they have attachments yeah. to strange things. And and sometimes it was the littlest of things that caused the largest of arguments of, you know, who was going to get this this certain bit of gear because everyone wanted it, um, which for me as someone who was completely or relatively emotionally unattached to everything I, I struggled with, like I was just like, boys, like seriously, I don't know, go punch it out or whatever and come back. Like whoever gets it, gets it. Let's all just move on. Um, so, yeah, so that was always interesting. And then some quirky little things to sort out, like particularly around livestock. Um, my partner's not that interested in livestock generally. I don't do cows. We had cows. We didn't want cows. How do we, you know, shimmy it that we don't end up with cows but we don't end up missing it you know it's not fair at the other end so just some stuff like that to kind of nut out and flipping it around what were some of the joys what was the process that you that that you had like was something at the end of the day we feel good moments throughout it there were a hundred percent like seeing like seeing everyone rise above and just make fair and logical decisions on stuff that could have been made really difficult was brilliant particularly around land um yeah, and now kind of what are we? We're seven months post split. Um, yep. Seeing each of the brothers doing their thing, like chasing the things that, that they like yeah. doing. You know, the one that's chasing cattle, you can see he's going hard on that. And, you know, one's buying and selling lambs because that's what he's mad on. And, you know, just just being able to really see yeah, each of the individuals become individuals rather than being shrouded by the family business. Yeah, has been amazing. It's um. Thank you for sharing, Emma, because it's it, it is tough, and, and I've already had a couple of interviews I've done with the podcast because I try and stack them all up, and it's been interesting to hear the different sides and stories of succession, and they're not all pretty, and so it's really nice to hear a good story where it's panned out well, and it's a succession process, not a will. Like that's yes. the big one is like so much of it is it's just a will. Like it's just at the end of the day when the parents die, this is how it's going to go. It's not a successful succession process where the kids are enabled to grow and and go off on their own like that. So it's, it's thank you very much for sharing that. Um, and be my biggest reflection, like obviously um, Craig and I have, a, have one child, whether there'll be more in yep. the future, who knows. But that's kind of our biggest lesson and take home is that Every time we make decisions now, particularly around big things like purchasing land and stuff like that, you know, how do we structure our business? Yes. How do we buy land? How does that look? Because that's been our biggest holdup has been around, um, you know, who holds titles and whose name is stuff in. And it hasn't really been set up well to make that unraveling simple. Um, so that has been our big takeaways. And as we're doing stuff, right, how do we structure this? So if we do have two or three kids and in 20 years it's time to divvy it three ways, that we're structuring it right now to make that process in 20 years simple and easy. Maribyrn Rural Veterinary Services. Currently servicing the central Queensland region provides your expected range of equine and bovine veterinary services, including pregnancy testing, bull testing, artificial insemination, dentistry, vaccinations and ambulatory work. They also provide consulting 
to assist you in making management decisions to improve your bottom line. The Maraboon team are working with producers to improve their productivity and therefore their profitability. To experience the veterinary professionalism that will make a difference to your business, call the Maraboon team on 07 4982 2552. That's some, Emma, thank you very much for sharing your succession side of you and your partner. But the one one of the other reasons why I wanted to chat to you is that you've got a long, long history and a great knowledge of building businesses and creating businesses. Now, I've kind of lost count. I think it was four or five businesses that you started in your time. Um, can you give us a bit of an overview of a brief overview of each one for us? Yeah. For sure. So um, it all started with Summer Dag. Um, so when I moved east, I've worked for a few different um, businesses. I worked as an on-farm agronomist for a while and then I ended up um, at Elders Pink Shirts and um, worked with a, another agronomist, Heath McWorder. Um, and Heath and I gelled really well and we came up with some cool um, little things with Elders there and after 14 months, we realised that um, we were missing a few opportunities by aligning to a reseller brand. So a big part of what we were doing was around research and development. And um, if you do research in a pink shirt, then they're usually pretty reluctant to give that to an agronomist that wears a green shirt Um, and all of that sort of caper. So we decided to start our own agricultural consultancy business to try and give us a bit more opportunity. So that was back in 2018. We um, do dry land and irrigated consulting for family operations right through to corporates. About 30% of our business is agricultural research, so doing label registrations and industry trials, stuff like that, Um, and seed production and, yeah, you name it, we've probably had a crack at it. Um, So we cover the Central West and Riverina region and we've now got six agronomists that work for us. Um, So, yeah, so that's been a fun little business that's kind of grown exponentially in the last six years. Uh, Then obviously the farming enterprise with my partner Craig, which has expanded now with Succession, um, so CGL Farming. Uh, Then we have an agricultural plastics business called Betterflex. So um, a couple of years ago we partnered with a company out of Brazil uh, called Azul, and they specialise in ag plastics, so think silage covers, think cotton module wrap, that sort of thing. Um, so we're dabbling with importing uh, their their plastics out of Brazil into Australia. So we did cotton module wrap last year, which was a really interesting experience. Didn't 110% go as planned, but that's fine. We're saddling up having another crack this year um, and bringing in some silage covers and stuff like that too, which will be really fun. And then the fourth business that we have is uh, Yakka. Uh, so Yakka is a communication platform or app which we are looking to make a safe space for agriculture. So once again, it's a Heath and Emma project. We as agronomists spend a lot of time connecting the dots, farmer to farmer, farmer to researcher, farmer to advisor. Um, we thought, well, there's heaps of people outside of our networks that we don't even know um, that could be answering these questions and helping people. Um, there's, yeah, opportunities there for people 
to meet across industry types and states and how do we create a place where these people can connect, ask questions, explore silly ideas, and we all know that the best content and conversation comes out of a phone call, not 120 characters on, say, Twitter. Um, So how can we create a space where people can connect um, build some rapport and then feel comfortable enough to make a phone call and discuss and explore ideas. It's it's incredible. It's incredible what you've what you've done. Um, and and out of that, what what have been some of your key learnings when it comes to from starting a business that you could give? Yeah. So you at some point you've got to stop thinking about it and just do it. Um, none of the businesses that we've done have been by any stretch shoot from the hip. They're educated risks, but you can talk yourself in and out of doing stuff a million times over. So at some point, yep. yeah, at some point you you do the spreadsheets and you do the pros and cons and you do the pros and cons and you go around in circles. You just got to stop that and go, yep, I'm going to give it a crack or I'm not. Um, and the other big thing has been whatever you start out with an idea in your business, don't fall in love with it because 90% of the time it's not how it ends up at all and you've got to be flexible and roll with the punches around what comes at you and where your niche is in the market and what the fit is. And if you fall too in love with an idea or a concept, you'll go hard on that and you'll miss opportunity. Um, Yeah, so it's just about come up with an idea, like it, hit go on it, and then you've kind of just got to let go and ride the wave. Um, One of the businesses I I found really interesting was Yaka. I I think it's a great way to knowledge base to share that. And can you give us a bit bit more of an overview of how to get involved and you really give us a bit of your of Yakka itself, the app, but how can people get involved if they do want to start joining? Yeah, so jump onto the app store and just look up Yakka, Y-A-C-K-E-R. Um, you can create a free account with us and put some basic information in. It's going to ask you for your postcode. Um, it's going to ask you what you're interested to know about. Uh, the reason for that is there's some pretty cool functionality in the back. So, for example, I was driving from Lake Kajeligo to Brisbane and I ended up in Moree and I wanted to know about cotton. I could type in Moree's postcode and cotton and it would show me everyone that registered with that postcode that grows cotton, likes cotton. Um, Maybe I can ring one of them up and go for a farm visit and find out what they're up to. Same thing if you're into cattle and you go into the Northern Territory where you can put in their cows, Northern Territory, and anyone on the platform that's registered from the Northern Territory with an interesting interesting cattle will pop up for you and allow you to connect. Um, yeah, once you're on the platform, it's pretty simple to use. You can chuck in what you want to talk about. Um, you can link what sort of people you want to get notified about it. So for me, anytime anyone puts anything about cotton on there, I'll get a notification because... <laughs> I love cotton and if I don't know how to answer a question, I probably know someone who will be able to answer a question. And then you've got two choices. If you're not comfortable in making a phone call, you can just pop a little comment underneath. Um, And if you're feeling bold and brave uh, and you love a good chat like me, you can just touch the little phone icon and it'll put a phone call through and you can have a good chat to that person. So you've really built a community around that and that sharing of the knowledge and what have you found? Have you had many people come up to you after and be like, thank you for helping connect the dots. It's helped me in this or that in my farm? Yeah. So probably one of the coolest case studies that we had um, is a guy on the East Coast 
wanting to grow uh, a permanent pasture crop for his merino enterprise. Um, mm. He had in his head that he wanted to do premier digit grass. No one in that district had ever grown premier digit grass. He was struggling to find the expertise. He chucked it up uh, on Yakka. He had one farmer and two agronomists from uh, Western New South Wales ring him, uh, go through the process. One of those agronomists is still helping him now, growing that as a pasture, and he's basically the pin-up boy for Premier Digit Grass on the East Coast now. So he's had incredible success, um, yeah, for his enterprise, for his knowledge base, for the suppliers of the seed. Like it's a win-win-win for everyone involved in the chain. That's cool. Um, what does the future look like for you, Emma? Like with all these businesses and the farm and now baby, do you plan on slowing down anytime soon or you still got a bit on? Uh, no, I've got a couple of little side projects in the wing, um, <laughs> which maternity leave has been good to try and um, get some runs on the board and get an understanding around how those businesses can fit into all of the other chaos that we have going on. Um, so no, look, no signs of slowing down whatsoever. Absolutely have the best team in Summit, which is allowing that as a business to kind of poke along and do its thing and, and really enjoying nurturing, you know, that next generation. Not that I'm that old in the scheme of things, but having that next generation come in under us and um, helping to, to see them thrive is really cool. And um, yeah, we'll just keep playing around with some of these little side businesses and and see if they take off and where they end up and, yeah, launch a few more maybe in the next couple of years. What is it that's drawn you to agriculture? Like you can see the passion whenever you, when you've talk, spoken the whole time about farming, about cotton, your eyes <laughs> light up. What is it that's that's drawing you to it? Oh, look, farmers are just the most resilient people you will ever meet. Um, floods droughts, production issues, supply issues. You know, we always seem to make it happen. We always seem to pull it off. Um, it is, you know, we have to be getting better at doing more with less and we're doing that constantly. And, I mean, the cotton industry is phenomenal. We've seen a 40% reduction in water use in the last, what is it, 15 years. You know, the ability of us to to really be able to manage and monitor crops and and really get bang for our buck and bang for our water and it really is a leading crop. And so the big thing for us now is, well, how can we now replicate that through everything else that we do on irrigation and how does that translate into a dryland scenario? Um, how do we help dryland farmers adjust to things like climate change? How do we react and navigate things like carbon crediting, greenhouse gas emissions? Um, there's going to be a point in time where what we do and how we deal with things like banks is going to be dictated by some stretch through you know our environmental credibility so how do we how do we benchmark and manage that without having major setbacks uh, to our businesses and what we do and and probably the most important thing is how do we keep operating it with our social license and ensuring that the next generation appreciate what we do and understand what we do and why we do it so I think the scary stat that I read a while ago now, and I don't know whether it's 100% right, but something like 50 years ago, pretty much every kid in the city had an aunt, uncle, cousin yeah. who lived on a farm. They understood agriculture and and now something like 70% of the kids in cities have got absolutely zero 
connection to what happens out rural and regionally. And 80% of Australia's population lives east of the Great Dividing Range. If we can't get them over the range and understanding what we do out here and why it's important, population tells us that politics is going to dictate, be dictated to by the east of the divide. And, and now's mm. our time to stand up and be counted and try and do a really good job of showcasing just how bloody awesome we are out here. God, it sounds like you're doing a run for politics, Emma, or agri-politics, <laughs> the way you speak. Um, look, I've got a couple of questions I always ask at the end of the pod, and one of them to kick us off is, have you done any courses that have really helped you along your journey? Um, I'll, I'll take out uni and stuff like that because you already talked about that, but have you done anything else, business courses or personal development courses that have really helped you? Yeah, look, I've been pretty proactive in in chasing professional development. Um, I think soft skills is something a lot of people lack in agriculture. So the ability to be able to communicate, to have tough conversations, negotiate, time management. Um, I really think, I think agriculture lacks in having availability of a lot of those courses. And I think farmers in particular are pretty lax at seeking out opportunities to do it. Um, so mm. Future Cotton Leaders um, is a program run by the cotton industry, which is focusing a lot on kind of those soft skills and leadership skills. And I found that to be phenomenal. Um, and I'm currently uh, in, what are we, the second round, I think, or the third round of the um, Australian Rural Leadership Foundation Strout Resilience Program. So the mentoring mentee, I'm one of the mentees as part of that. And um, the the skills and tools that we've been given in that has been phenomenal and and I've been lucky enough to be paired with an incredible human as a mentor um so be hopefully I can convince her when our next six months is up and the formal course is over to to still be on speed dial to bounce ideas around (laughs) because it's been invaluable so touching on mentors you've obviously had a few that have played a big part in your journey how much have they played and did you want to share that to any oh so many people like there's official mentors that you've got your your um, you know monthly catch ups and your agendas, and then there's those unofficial mentors that just float around and probably don't even realise, um, yeah, how helpful they've been. Um, a big mentor of mine was my first boss when I started in the cotton industry, a guy by the name of Rob Lowe. When we we're out at Tandout Menindi, um, he was the farm manager and and um, seen now agronomist on that farm and to be able to watch how he managed a team of like 60 staff to um, learn from him and his style of teaching so he wasn't a he wasn't the person that if you walked in and said I have this problem he'd go oh here's your solution you'd walk in and go I have this problem and he'd go yep that does sound like a problem off you go (laughs) and kind of leave you to, to, you know, battle it out and you'd float around the wings and push you in the right direction when you needed it. Um, but, yeah, just to, to be able to watch him and see how he operates um, was probably the big starting point of my journey. And, yeah, look, there's been so many people along the way that I could be here for an hour rattling. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um what would be your one piece of advice that you give to someone on their journey towards land ownership or in life? Um, the more uncomfortable that the opportunity makes you feel, 
probably the better the opportunity is. So that's what I found when I felt like I'm teetering on the precipice of chaos and out of control or scared shitless. Um, It usually to me is a pretty good indicator that I'm pushing into something pretty exciting and um, fun, whether that's starting Summit Ag, starting our trials business and trying to get money out of big companies, you know, starting that from scratch, whether it was buying a farm with my partner of a whole nine months, not knowing whether we were really going to stay together long term or not, you know, whether it was flying to Brazil to meet a company that we knew next to nothing about and spend 10 days, you know, learning about a product that we're going to go and spend a couple hundred grand importing and hoping like heck it works. Like every time I found myself in those situations where I've been like, this is pretty, this is stretching me. This is pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's, that's where I really found some nuggets of gold. That's good. Um, look, Emma, thank you very much for being so generous and sharing your time, but also, also a lot of your knowledge and wisdom. It was, it's been a really good chat. So I appreciate it. So thank you very much for this. No, that's all right. If anyone wants to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly of any of the things, they can look me up on Yaka. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll make sure they will. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of A Place to Call Home podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to share it with some friends and family. And if you got five, leave us a rating. I'd greatly appreciate it. Anyway, for the quote of the day, I want to leave you with one from Nelson Mandela. The greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Have a good day.